Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Freeman Means Business Wonder Women in Business podcast. Everyone has a story, and on our podcast, we give a voice to the women whose story is moving, meaningful, and compelling. I'm so excited to have someone that most of my listeners probably already know because she's out there in a big way all over LinkedIn. Welcome to the show, Corey Carew. I'm so happy to have you here today. And I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me on your amazing show that uplifts women in such a cool way. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to say we give shout outs to allies as well. So as my listeners know, the podcast is all about giving a voice to women who fight for equity and uh, equity in the workplace and equality in the world. But I also have on men who serve as allies in our fight. So just to make sure we know that. Well, Corey, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Oh, so I am the oldest of four daughters born to West African parents from Sierra Leone. So I'm from Sierra Leone, grew up in Nigeria, was born in Canada. Um, let's see, I grew up in Nigeria, came to the United States when I was about 20 and a half years old, started university all over here, um, started off as an electrical engineering major, um, and then became a lawyer somewhere along the way. I'm a lawyer, I'm a mom, I'm an immigrant, I am an advocate, I'm an ad- activist, and um, that's a brief summary about me. You are amazing. You are so multifaceted. So I did. I knew some of that because I've stalked you for quite a while. But um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's so easy because you're you are an activist and you are an advocate and you definitely speak for women. And um, I love your story. I did not know all of these different facets. You're amazing. Uh, well, oh, what do you say that? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So talk about bringing different perspectives to the table and to the conversation. This is why oh. I believe in the power of storytelling. When you tell your story, people tap into unique and different experiences and they also relate to common experiences. So what made, you, yeah, what made you make that shift from um, engineering to law? Gosh, you know, it, it actually wasn't, it didn't start off being intentional. You know, I, I moved to the United States. I, I moved to a college where I got the most scholarship and it was a college my dad had gone to, my uncle had gone to, and it was a liberal arts school. And so I thought I would just take all the uh, physics, math, chemistry classes that would be pre-engineering courses and then I'll transfer. I ended up not transferring for a variety of reasons, mostly financial. And during this process, a professor Um, convinced me to take on a political science major in addition and I just thought it was the most ridiculous thing in the world but my first semester there at at college I worked as his um, research assistant and so we would get into these wild conversations and of course I've always been quite opinionated and I had a lot to say about American foreign policy international (laughs) relations and you name it because I had that experience you know from having come from another country and being able to see the world from a different perspective. So long story short, fast forward, um, he does convince me to add on this second major. I add it on. I become fascinated. I think, gosh, this seems like a great path to dealing with human rights issues. And when I say this, I meant the way the United States was constructed with the three, you know, the three branches of government, the checks and balances, and the strength of the judiciary and the legal system. 
and I became fascinated with that. Um, and so after doing a little bit of work here and there, I decided to apply for law school. At the same time, my home country was still going through a brutal civil war that lasted over 10 years, one of the worst, as people would describe it in terms of the atrocities that were committed. And I just had such a heart for human rights and for civil rights issues. And I decided I wanted to go to law school. So um, that's how I ended up going to law school. I ended up doing nothing close to what I had planned on doing. <laughs> yeah. And life. Um, life, right? And, 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 and I loved it. I loved what I did that was different. I never thought I'd be a defense lawyer. And I was a defense lawyer and I loved being a defense lawyer. Um, I loved advocating for people. And I realized along the way that what I am is an advocate. Um, I'm an advocate for people. I'm an advocate for issues. And I'm passionate about that. And so when I got to the point of deciding, okay, I've done this thing and I want to do something different. And I started taking inventory of my skills, my talents, my passions, where I lose myself in time. And I started drawing these concentric circles to say, nah, concentric is not the right word. Sort of like a Venn diagram. Where's yes. the overlap here? And realizing the overlap was, was pretty clear. And I knew it was somewhere in the field of advocating for people, equipping and empowering women and minorities to succeed despite challenges, um, helping, people, helping people create um, inclusive and belonging cultures and environments. Um, and that led to me doing what I do now. So it's been an interesting journey. It's been um, a very nonlinear journey, you know, uh, 30 years ago, if you'd asked me what I'd be doing now, absolutely thought it would be engineering or something in a chemistry lab somewhere. Never thought I'd be doing what I'm doing now. So, You're so, good. so fascinating. So I, I have to tell you, I interview so many women and more of them than not say, um, my path was not linear. And oh yeah, much more like a pinball machine than a bowling alley lane, right? So yes. all over the place. Yeah. You are amazing. Let me ask you this. So um, what you talked about in the Venn diagram description um, is your ikigai. And this has come up in so many conversations recently. It's that mm -hmm. sweet spot right in the middle where you're, the world needs what you do. You love doing what you do. You're good at it and you get paid for it and you enjoy it. So it's the perfect sweet spot and perfect place to land. And it sounds like you're there. I am. I am. And you know what? I took my time getting there. You know, That's I took okay. my time. Yes. I took my time thinking about what I wanted. I took my time really doing self-reflection. I took my time doing assessments. I'm a person of faith. So I also did quite a bit of Bible study around purpose and what I wanted my life to look like in the rearview mirror. I got really granular on what I believed my mission and purpose was and, you know, it's similar to what I always did in my professional career where um, I, I would, I was very value driven, you know, yeah. these are my values. This is what would work. This is what would not work. And so it was more of that, but I got really granular with it and intentional with it and took my time until I felt like I was ready and also took my time until I knew for sure that I was okay giving up being a practicing lawyer because somewhere along the line, um, 
I woke up one day and realized that so much of my identity had become tied up in being a lawyer. Yes. And I did not realize it until I started struggling with certain things and realizing, wait a minute, why is so much of my identity tied into being a lawyer and realizing that I'm an advocate and I can speak and influence and advocate for people in different ways made it easier for me to say, okay, I'm going to really miss the courtroom, <laughs> but I'm not going to die. <laughs> right. I love that you yeah. had the courage to acknowledge that and then create change. Like some people know it and they feel it and they think it, but they don't yet have the courage to change their behavior. And I want to say, yeah. I interview a lot of lawyers and I know a lot of lawyers and I'm married to a lawyer who did what you did, shifted out of the mm -hmm. courtroom. He loved it for 20 some odd years. But when you lose who you are to what you do, there's a time to revisit and self-actualize and find out what is my purpose? This is not my mm -hmm. purpose. This is just my title. And as much yes. as I have good days doing it, it's not what fuels me, right? My yes. soul. Yes. Yes. yes, you are that yes. person personified, the, the icky guy right there. <laughs> and I That's love that awesome. tool, actually, to help people yeah. um, process. And, and I also know that there's an element of blessing and privilege in that because not everybody gets to do that. I'm, I'm right. very aware that, you know, there are people in economic brackets or with, you know, educational limitations or whatever, whatever the limitation is, that don't have luxury of being able to say, I want to do something that will pay me a good living that I'm passionate about, that I'm good at, that, you know, will be impactful in, you know, all of those circles that overlap. And, um, and so I'm thankful. I'm thankful for where I am and, and the journey. And it helps that I loved being here and I love being a lawyer. I still love being a lawyer. It helps yeah. that I have um, great things that I got out of it because I think if it was a miserable time, <laughs> I think maybe that would be a very different story. Yeah, and I will acknowledge that I think the majority of human beings who walk the planet have not been able to um, take that path. In fact, I'm going to be so bold as to say many lawyers I know wish that they could do that. But again, like you said, um, they do have the privilege and they do get the, the paycheck, but they get mm -hmm. locked in. And then there are those mm -hmm. many, many more people out there who don't even have the privilege to have that choice, right? So, well, let me ask right. you this. What is your proudest professional accomplishment? Well, um, so this, was a t this is a tough question for me because anytime you ask me my most or my favorite or my best, I have trouble answering that question for anything, sure. including food, which I love. Um, <laughs> me too. Hyperbole <laughs> is always difficult. Yeah, I know. I know. But I, I think that a few jump out for me. One, simply graduating college, you know, the financial difficulty I went through, not having a financial safety net, coming to this country alone and without any money. Um, just the fact that I made it through um, yeah. on my own for me has always been a huge accomplishment, maybe even more so than than law school. Um, yeah, I get because, that. Yes. So, so that, that was big for me, the transition, the new immigrant experience, and technically not new immigrant, technically just foreigner experience because I was on a student visa. So I wasn't an immigrant at the time. 
um, another proud accomplishment for me, I think, is being able to succeed in the profession that first year of motherhood, because my first year of motherhood was brutal for me for a variety of reasons, um, which were also learning experiences, me learning about myself and the way I like to order my world and the way being a mother just upended all of those things I wasn't as <laughs> self-aware yeah. of as I thought I was. Yeah. Um, leaving the practice to do this um, was huge. It took a lot of courage. It took a lot of navigating the uncertainty, the anxiety, the what ifs, um, the people perceptions, all of that. That was huge for me. Um, and then I think every time I lead people through courage on difficult things, on controversial things, every time I'm able to get an organization or leaders that I'm working with to transition from where they are to a new place of understanding and a new place of leadership, when I convert them from critics to advocates for inclusion and belonging, those moments actually mean more to me than awards. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, I agree. Well, That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're so helping are, them to grow. Them. Yeah, I call that spiritual growth. I know that um, some people may not be comfortable with that term, but I think anytime we go from an uncomfortable, unknowing, fear-filled place to a more comfortable, more knowing, and, and love-filled place, that is spiritual growth. I mean, it is. Not, intellectually you grow along the way but the power is in the spiritual growth so i love that you had the courage to to say that and especially the courage to do that when you say i do this would you tell the audience what this is so they know a little more about what you do today mm. um so when i say this what i do is i equip and i empower leaders to lead differently so that they're more inclusive and they create cultures of belonging. I disrupt systems that create inequity through strategy, through teaching, and through actually rewriting or reworking alongside you know, those I work with, how we do the things that we do. I'm a teacher, I'm a counselor, I'm a coach, um, I'm a strategist, um, I have tissues, handy and ready yeah. <laughs> for, for when they're it. needed. Yeah. Um, I'm a status quo disruptor because in order for me to accomplish the results that I believe we need to have, I have to disrupt the status quo. So a big part of the role that I often play is yes and, um, and pushing, the, pushing the envelope as far as the envelope can go in order for a forward movement without toppling the whole thing over. And, and that's a balancing act. That's um, powerful. Because, yes you know, leading and. in the space. Yes. And yeah, right. that's amazing. You know, and, and, and sometimes, sometimes your role is not even yes. And sometimes your role is, um, no, <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes your role is no. <laughs> you know, I sometimes love that. your role. Yes. And, people, or, um, no, I love people, that. Um, no, right, right. Because sometimes that's, that's, that's where your voice is needed. Your voice is needed and it's unique because we do this up, down and laterally, you know, so we're working with people across organizations and sometimes it's people above you who have more power than you 
that you are having to influence and you are having to say, no, we yeah. should not be doing that. Or I've been in that position. No, this is not a good idea. Position. Yes. Yes. And it's, it's somewhat unique because if you look at law firms and a lot of organizations, you know, people in my role, a lot of people who do what we do, we are thought of as service providers and in the inclusion and belonging space it's a little different because you are a subject matter expert brought in as an internal consultant to lead and that means leading up and so you're not always providing service up sometimes you are saying no you can't and shouldn't have what you're asking for because this is a really bad idea, or this is inconsistent with our values, or this is inconsistent with our strategy. And it's a, it's a, it's a position that's it's different, especially in law firms, because law firms can be very hierarchical, and they can also be very divided between um, the lawyers versus everyone else, yes. um, the business services staff, yes. the professional staff, however you want to call them. Um, just don't call them non-attorneys, because- Thank you. Offensive. <laughs> Just don't call them non-attorneys, but you know, the other people, the two thirds of the organization that keep the organization functioning. How about that? Let's call them that. Yes. So, so I have faced those very yeah. challenges and I have um, done so in a diplomatic and kind, but still strong, you know, firm way. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I consider mm -hmm. myself a change agent, a disruptor. I will say uh, there's a book that you might enjoy. It's called In Defense of um, dissenters. No, In Defense of Troublemakers. That's the name of the book. In mm. Defense of Troublemakers. I think you would love that book because that's what we're, we're dissenters. We're challenging the status quo. We are saying, so I used to get the, the look, you know, that look I'm talking about. I used to get the look <laughs> when I would ask why, as if that's such why? a difficult yeah. question. I just ask why. I'm not saying your idea is bad or wrong. I'm asking you why you have it. What brought you to that conclusion? Because I may be able to, you know, support that or, you know, dissuade you from that. Um, but yeah, just asking why I would get that look. <laughs> yes. Yes. Like, what do you yes. mean why? How and dare I love you? The, well, but this is, this is how we've always done it. Exactly. Oh my God. In fact, I don't want to get too detailed because, you know, <laughs> you know, but um, there was a place where I worked that there wasn't a day that went by that I didn't hear. Well, that's just not the blank, blank way. Yes. <laughs> and, yes. Like, and you're like, and this is why we are where we are. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> now I can tell you the why, you know? Yes. Yeah, I so am aligned with everything you're saying and you're speaking my language and my cheeks are burning from smiling while hearing you talk. You are, um, you have great content. Obviously, you're saying all the words that resonate with me and probably with most of my audience, but the way you're saying it is warm. The delivery is warm. It's compelling. You're a very good, compelling storyteller and that I know. You do so through mm -hmm. writing on uh, LinkedIn. But now that I hear your voice, I very much, um, I'll buy whatever you're selling, you know? So. <laughs> I need to get on that then. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah. I have some things to sell. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, well, let me ask you this. I, I focus a lot on women, all women, mm -hmm. from all walks. Mm -hmm. um, we are a special, you know, we have a special set of circumstances because I do believe we are born to be and tend to be 
more collaborative. And it's only as we grow up in our careers that we become instead more competitive. And my theory is that we need to stop clawing at each other and start clawing the operating system to create more spots at the top instead of clawing each other for the one or two that are mm -hmm. there for the token women, you know? So what right. do you think we can do to support other women in business? Well, I think some of the things that we can do, first of all, I think it starts with the mindset, right? And yeah. one of the things we just said was, you know, this idea that we have to claw at each other and be competitive. And one of the advantages that we bring as women is that we have uh, different styles of leadership. This is general. This is not, you know, um, not every woman is the same. But generally, because of how we've been raised in societal expectations, we lead differently. We lead more collaboratively. Yes. Transformation. And the more, absolutely, the more we get into leadership positions, the more we have the power to shift and change the culture and the way in which things are done. And the more we do that, the more opportunities show up because then the more we begin to see that it's really not about a few people at the top and everybody else at the bottom of the pyramid, but that rather we can gain more, we can achieve more when we're more collaborative and we, we share the power across. So one of the things that, you know, we need to begin doing, you know, a lot of times as women, we come into organizations and the organization has a culture. And if the organization has a culture that treats, that treats people as if, well, we've got one black person on the executive committee, so we're good, we're good. Ah. That then creates the belief within the system that there's only space for one, which then creates the competition that people feed into because they're trying to survive in this environment. So part of what has to happen is we have to shift the culture from yes. tokenizing people or for having a system where only few women or minorities can get through. That's one thing that I, I believe that we have to do intentionally, collaboratively, and powerfully, because until we change those cultures, we will continue to see the same dynamic. And in fact, I'm speaking about this issue at an upcoming leadership summit um, in Kansas City about how a lot of these things that we see happen that we consider negative are really um, a result of the culture and the dynamics. But I digress. Within no, the system- uh, I wanna hear, so, so let me just say real quickly, this is yep. amazing. I'm taking notes. This is this is my language, but we also want to promote you and this opportunity that you're uh, speaking in in Kansas City. So feel free, say whatever you'd like to. I'm going to connect you with my connections in Kansas City so that they attend. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. No, it's it's um it's a symposium that was or is is organized by an organization called Central Exchange. They are created to help develop women leaders and help influence and get women on boards and government and leadership, you name it. And they have this symposium that they've done every year that is, used to be called the Central Exchange um, Lyceum, Leadership Lyceum. And this year, yeah. the name has changed to the Midwest Leadership Summit. And it was supposed to be a whole day event in Kansas City. Hundreds of people show up. Um, but this year, they're going virtual and they're dividing it into three days so that it's smaller um, time periods over a three day period. And I will be speaking on really just addressing the obstacles that women face and the conflict and hostility that we face in organizations, whether it's between ourselves or with others, 
and how we can navigate it. But I'm going through the lens of helping people understand here are the cultural, structural, and systemic patterns that exist in organizations that impact women and minorities, that cause us to do the things that we do. Here are the things that we can do individually to navigate it, and here are the things that we can do to dismantle these patterns, because both have to happen. Um, for too long, we've been telling women and minorities what they need to do to survive these environments, and then we wonder why we haven't made much progress. Well, the system wasn't designed for us to succeed, and it wasn't designed for the right. way we need or the differences that we bring to the table. So part of the solution has to be systemic, has to be organizational. So that's what that... Um, that's what that summit is. And I, I'm, I'd be happy to share more information with you in an email so that you can include it in the links. Yes. But things that we can do individually, it costs us nothing to amplify each other. So that's one thing that I do consistently. And I've, I've made that commitment to myself a long time ago. There, I may not be able to help somebody get a job. I may not be connected to the right people. But even if I have a very small platform, I can amplify other people. So it's simple. At work. A woman does something that's amazing, you send an email to the whole firm. Somebody goes to trial and they win, you send an email saying, hey, just so you know, this person just came out of trial. They got a defense verdict. These were the facts of the case. Da 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 da. Somebody does something good and you're there and you're watching them. You send an email to their supervisor. I just want you to know I was at this event and Susan represented the firm so beautifully. You know, she's highly regarded. She gave this presentation. It was phenomenal. I want you to know, and I want this to be in her file for review time. We can amplify people very, very easily. I we love can also this. tell You're people You're making me truth. well up with tears. If women would, <laughs> I mean, look, men need to do this too. Everyone needs oh, to do this, especially for absolutely. women. Yeah, exactly. You're we amazing. Have to do it. We have to do it because if we are on the receiving end of knowing what it feels like to experience procreation, where, you know, you have an idea, <laughs> you suggest it, and yeah. then all of a sudden, some guy says the same thing five minutes later, and it's, it's a great idea when nobody responded when you said it, or right. you've been the recipient of having to work twice as hard, or you've been the recipient of, you know, all these things we navigate, the very least thing we can do for each other is amplify each other, promote each other, brag on each other, particularly because most of us have been conditioned not to self-promote. Right. You won't self-promote for yourself, I'll brag on you. You know I'll you're speaking my you. language. This is the whole business model, behind, or not even business, it's a heart model behind mm -hmm. what I do for the podcast. That's the whole purpose. Another thing that we can do, I think, is we can tell each other the truth. Yes. We have culture so many times of being indirect we see something that's wrong, we tell somebody else, we don't tell the person. With grace and truth and diplomacy, we should tell each other the truth. Yes. We should tell each other the things that we can do to improve. We should tell each other the things that we may be doing to sabotage ourselves. We should tell each other when there are alliances that are problematic. I'll give you some examples of things that I've done in my career. I once had a young lady who was very interested in working at a firm that I worked at. And I had met her, I had interviewed her, I knew what she brought to the table, but I internally knew some of the obstacles that she would be facing because I knew the culture and I knew some of the people who she would be working with. And so when she showed up, showed up for her second interview, third interview, I can't remember, 
I went up to her. I wasn't slated to meet with her. I went up to her and I asked, do you really want this job? And she said, yes. And I said, here's what you need to know about this organization. Boom, 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 boom. And I walked away. Because if she wanted the job, I knew the obstacles that she was facing. I knew the organization needed more diversity. She was smart, she was bright, she was a woman of color, but I knew the obstacles she was facing. And so I just told her, here are the things that matter around here. So that when she walked into that interview, she knew how to answer those questions. Well, she was empowered and you were having a courageous conversation. So I call that um, in my language every day, being open, honest, and direct. And I will tell open, you- Open, honest, and direct. I yes. love that. And I'll tell you, it was well accepted when I worked in Boston, not so much anywhere else, you know? So, mm. yeah. And see, that, that's a dynamic you have to navigate. And that's yes. a dynamic I navigate because I come from a culture that is more direct communication and the Midwest is generally more indirect. Yes. Um, and I've lived in Iowa, Kansas City area. Now I'm in Chicago. It's a little bit different, but still, there's still, you know, that's there. Another situation that. was where I saw another female attorney in an organization sort of aligning herself with another woman trying to get some things moved in the organization. I think it's okay to tell someone, hey, I don't know how, what you want to do with this, but here are some lined minds you should be aware of. And I was not very close to this person, but we've now become quite close because I was willing to tell her there's a cliff on the other side. I'm just giving you the information. You do with it what you will. There are too many times I see women or minorities watch someone about to implode themselves and not say anything. And the least we can do, pay them their values. That has become so important to me. Pay women what they are valued at. If you have a say in salary negotiations. Don't let people lowball. Don't let someone say, oh, Susan used to work at this organization making X. And even though everybody else in the organization who comes in makes Y, let's just give her a little bit more than X because to her, to her, that would be more. That is if so you, wrong. Oh, it happens all the time. I've been in so many places where people, and so now when people ask me, what are your salary expectations? I tell you negotiable based on the value that I'll bring. And if you ask me, what did you make last time? I'll tell you, I'm not sharing because our discussion is going to be based on what I'm going to be doing for you and what I'm telling you that I will be able to deliver if you give me the support and resources that we need. And you are no longer going to value me based on what I made before. I love that. Wow. And that, and it's a way, it's a way that women, it contributes to the pay equity gap that we see. Yeah. Because women don't negotiate as hard for themselves or they don't even know that they can negotiate or when they negotiate, they get blowback for doing it. So if right. I'm at the table and we're talking and I know the salary range and this person has a certain level of experience and you tell me we should offer this person X and I'm the hiring manager. I'm going to say, no, this is what I think it should be based on what they bring. You're so, know so that. awesome. You know, there is I, absolutely, oh, go ahead. No, you go. Yeah, no, I, I'm just, I want to say this because it's so relevant to what you're saying. 
you said women often don't negotiate for themselves. And so what I do is I give them this tip and say, disarm the hiring authority by saying up front, I know studies show that men are expected to negotiate and are respected for negotiation, but not so much for women. I'm just letting you know now, I expect to negotiate. And it disarms. I love that tip. Yeah, just let them know. You know the statistics, you know the data. <laughs> just disarming the hiring authority up front with the data, you know, yes. backing your uh, claim with the data is very powerful and doing what you just said to do because they do do that. People do that. They say, oh, throw her a bone. I hate that. I really yeah. do. Yeah. And, you know, I'm at my fourth law firm and, you know, how many jobs have I had in my life? Quite a few here and there. And I, I, I don't like that approach. Um, and I think it's actually a positive development for diversity, for minorities, for women, that some of the states are beginning to make it illegal to even ask that question. I think yes. it should be federally. And I suggest, you know, wherever I work, that we just not ask that question now that I'm in a leadership role. Like, just don't even ask that question. It's irrelevant. It's completely irrelevant. Um, no, in the application, the but mm -hmm. on the application, if you're using like, uh, what is it, Taleo.net or whatever, the, these various um, software platforms for the application process at so many law firms and companies require you, in order to go to the next page of the application, you must submit your desired salary or your previous salary. And I think those are very, um, you shouldn't even be talking about that until after they've no. seen the value that you can bring to the table. Absolutely. Yeah, it's Absolutely. so bad. It's a I bias. Think if any of those organizations, if you have a diversity person, your diversity person should be telling you to remove those questions. Yes. Remove them. They have been shown to impact the disparities between how people are paid. Remove exactly. it. And if you want to encourage negotiation, put in the, the, um, the, the job application that negotiations are encouraged. Uh, you know, put language in there. I love Draft that. your application in a way that it gives people permission and it gives people the knowledge that certain behaviors will not be penalized. I mean, there are ways in which we can draft our job applications, our job descriptions that indicate that we are trying to be inclusive. And there are organizations out there that help people do this, like Textio and other organizations that can look at your, your job posting and tell you ways in which bias is embedded and it will impact the number of women and minorities that apply for those jobs. So the tools are out there, the information is out there. It's really up to us to do something about it. And, and, and the pay thing, is not just for jobs in the organization. It also is for consultants and vendors. Right. I'm, I'm now at the point in my career, you know, I have been known to negotiate and to negotiate down and to get a good deal. But as I've learned and I've grown, I thought to myself, you know what? Their value is their value. Right. Their value Honor is their it. value. Honor it. Honor yeah. it. You is know, it okay and I, to say how much I adore you? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you can adore me all you want because I adore you. But You're so it's, it's, great. it's small things like that that I've learned over the years that, you know, I think it's one thing to say I can't afford that, but it's another to try to make someone feel like they're less than. 
and 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 I cannot participate in that anymore. And I'm just I'm just not going to do it. Um, and recently, I had a really positive experience. I was asked to keynote this event. Someone reached out to me because they do this annual conference every year and they have a speakers bureau and the speakers bureau brings them these big name people. And the organizer said, Hey, we love the people you've brought us, but I'm looking for someone fresh. I'm looking for someone with a different energy. I'm looking for someone with different perspectives. And they described the kind of person that they wanted. I don't work with this speakers bureau, but this speakers bureau um, lady sent them my information and said, here's this person I've been kind of watching. Um, here's some videos of her talk. I don't represent her, but I think this is the kind of person you're looking for, right? Nice. Yes. So they send the information. They both reach out to me and I don't make the connection. So I'm responding to them separately. Um, I'll tell you something that happened. Even though the Speakers Bureau was not representing me, they told me this organization, here's the range of their budget of what they usually spend for their keynotes. She didn't have to tell me that, but she did. Then, because I've been given all these discounts to bar associations, and I was thinking to myself, oh, this is a university. They probably don't have a lot of money, which is a mistake I've been making, by the way. I've been discounting my rates for certain groups. I quoted them a rate, which I knew was low. It was basically half of what I knew I should be charging. And the organizer reached back to me and said, are you sure this is what you want to charge? <laughs> and I said, um, yeah, I mean, your university, I was giving you a discount. And she basically said to me, I've been paying my other keynotes more. Wow. I encourage you to ask for more. Wow. That's so amazing. And then, yes. And then I said, okay. I gave her a higher number. And then she came back and said, how about this? Which is higher than what I came back with. Love her. Now, Susan, here's the thing. The number that they came back with is what I have known for two years should be my asking rate. That's the universe telling you something. That's the universe telling me something. But I'm telling this story because the person at the Speakers Bureau was a woman and the organizer was a woman. And yeah. she not only made sure I got paid what I was valued at, she told the Speakers ask them if they would work with me to help help me out, connect me, give me some advice, whatever. And of course, I've been so busy with work. I haven't had time to do any of that um, because, you know, what I'm doing for SciFarth has been my, my primary focus. But it's just an example of how we can use our voices and we can make sure we pay people what they're worth, pay them their value. And yes, as part of being in organizations, we negotiate we try to find ways to have savings, but I encourage us not to nickel and dime people so much, especially women and minorities, and particularly women of color, especially yeah, yeah. in the diversity space. I see it all the time. People expect us to do stuff for free. People think that just because you do diversity work, you should give it for free. And people think, oh, well, it's just one hour of your time. No, it's 25 years of experience, knowledge, learning, training, practicing. So exactly. hate people. Okay, I went on it. I went on a rant there. Sorry. No, it's, 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 it's something that's been bugging me. Everything it's been bugging me said. because I've been seeing it a lot. I've been seeing it a lot, and it's like, no, let's not do that to people. They have to pay their bills the same as everyone else. Um, just like we want to get our paycheck, they want to be paid for the value that they bring. So pay them. 
And I think that when you, um, you are, you know, your unique value proposition, you're able to deliver that in such a way that shame on them if they don't pay you what you're worth versus what their, you know, their lowest number is. So, uh, so I mm -hmm. teach a lot of getting to yes, you know, Fisher. Mm. So what is your best alternative to no agreement or no, um, you know, um, a negotiation at all like what at what point are you willing to walk away because i know yes. my worth now I, yes. I like you used to give you know i would teach lawyers never give a discount because it looks like you've been overcharging for all the rest of the you know, mm -hmm. you know are you worth that and once you go down you can never go back up right so mm. um you know know yeah. your value know your worth and fight hard for that and speak well to it and if they don't recognize it walk away Walk mm -hmm. away. So I'm well, and you know what, Susan? Here's something. I actually do give discounts on your but, oh, not on legal. No. Yeah, that's what I was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not on legal. Yeah. Um, you know, not on legal, but because uh, you know, well, actually, that's not true. There were clients that we gave discounts, but that was more of an organizational decision because I have to balance. You know, you have to balance what's good for the organization, what makes sense. You know, we can't take such discounted work that it doesn't make sense. Right. When we could have attorneys point. doing, yes, exactly. When we could have attorneys doing other work. So you balance what you get from it. Yeah. Um, and all that. But, you know, with when it comes to speaking and consulting and things like that, I think it's very different for someone to say, I think if someone says to you, Susan, we really, really want you and we really just do not have the budget but we would really like to have you. And if you can't, that's okay. And you decide and say, you know what? Because I really believe in your cause and I believe in what you're doing, I will do this discounted. That's perfectly fine. It's when people approach you as if there's an expectation, yes. right? Yes. That's, that, that, that's a turnoff. Straight out of the and gate. Seen, they're trying I've to seen people do that. Yeah. Oh, me too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I've seen people do that. And um, now and I'm I, in a position to say, thank you. I'm happy to refer you to someone who, um, you know, that rate fits is a better fit for that person than it is for me. Mm -hmm, you know? so, mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah. well, we want you. And I'm like, well, then you have to recognize the value more than the cost. Right. Right. So right. Well, let me ask you this question. Um, in my podcast, just over the past few months, I have started doing something really fun, or at least I think, I think it's fun. Um, maybe my guests are horrified, but it's called <laughs> the wild card question, right? Oh, dear. So are you willing to play the game and take a chance on a wild card question? I'll take a chance, but just so you know, I'm so boring, so I don't know how wild it is, but go oh for it. <laughs> if that's your definition of boring, I need to chill with you. I need to slow no, down. Seriously. You'd be shocked <laughs> at how boring I am, so hit me. All right, hit me, I'm baby, one more time. You betcha. <laughs> and she sings. And she sings. Oh, this is a fun question. Sometimes they're really deep. They're all very thoughtful, right? So mm -hmm. this one's really fun. So what is the section of the bookstore that you like best? Oh my God. I, <laughs> I could live in the bookstore. I could live in the bookstore, Susan. I'm telling what you, it's too. one of my favorite places and libraries. Like I could sleep there. I could spend hours. <laughs> I look at pictures of libraries. And imagine what my dream house will look like with a library. So um, I really love the fiction section. 
And up until I became a mom, I read almost exclusively fiction. So I love fiction. And in the last 12 years, I haven't read as much fiction as I would like. And I've really got into, gotten into business books. And I love yeah. those as well. But um, I love the fiction section. What about, what's the most recent book you read? Or oh a favorite? God. How about a favorite book? You remember what I told you? It's hard for me to pick favorites. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm like, yeah, I can't pick favorites. I'm horrible true. at that. So the last book I read, and I'm really disappointed. So this is where the pandemic hit me. I was on track for probably mm, two books a week, one to two books a week. And then once the pandemic hit and my schedule went upside down, I really have not. I'm so I hear behind. You. So the the last book I finished was um, an, an American Marriage, an American and it's a fiction marriage. book. Um, yeah, An American Marriage, and I tried that out, and I've been doing, so what I've been doing is, in addition to reading my business books, I decided this year that I wanted to read books by women of color. Um, I love it. And so I've been intentionally going out to find books by women of color to read. And I, I, I posted on Facebook if anybody wanted to do it with me. It was supposed to just be something the first few weeks of January, but it's ended up, um, it ended up going longer and basically came to a screeching halt during the pandemic. I need to go back to it. But I've read some interesting books because of that. I read um, An American Marriage. I read... Um, Surprisingly, I've read all of Chimamanda Adichie's books, except We Should All Be Feminists. So I read that, um, read a book with the fire on high, such a fun age, um, A Long Petal of the Sea, which I love Isabel Allende. And I haven't read her in so long since, you know, since I haven't been reading as much fiction. So it's been great to just weave in, going back to weaving in fiction and saying, this year I really want to read um, women of color and be more intentional. Um, yeah. and that's been good. Yeah. That's been I good. love that. I love that. So, um, you know, what's really great. I, I, I encourage people to read from someone else's voice, you know, don't read the, the authors that tell your story, read the authors that tell a different story than your own. And so I too have been reading women of color, right? Um, mm -hmm. and I too love business books. So, um, if it's okay with you, I'll give a little shout out to Minda Hart. Yes. Book, the memo. Um, I promote it everywhere I go. People call it the lean in for women of color. I don't, I don't see that. Um, yeah, no, no, I don't, I don't her, think it's a lean in for her, women of color. Exactly. She has her own identity and this is, mm -hmm. she tells stories that, um, honestly, I was a young woman, uh, of privilege and, um, having had that privilege, I had a really limited perspective and it was only when I left at 18 or 19, um, went out on my own, totally on my own and met lots of wonderful different people from all over the world. I lived all over the world. I've lived in, um, Europe. I've lived in Hawaii. I've lived in Boston, Baton Rouge, and now San Francisco. So it's all through those differing voices that I've really come to appreciate the beauty of the other you know, and I'm curious. Mm -hmm. I think curiosity is such a powerful tool in uh, inclusivity. So I, I'm going to take you up. Like when you make a book recommendation, I'm going to read that book. Oh my gosh. 
there's some really great books out there, I'm telling you. And, you know, here's the thing with Lean In, you know, no criticism to Sheryl Sandberg, but part of what people objected to in Lean In um, was it was so focused on individual things we can do, which is great. Um, but like I said before, I'm tired of people telling women and minorities and gays what they need to do to fix a problem that is that is systemic and cultural. Right. So we can do our part to navigate it and succeed it, which we have. Every one of us who's been successful, we've mastered that. But that doesn't mean that the system shouldn't change. And what what Minda does in lean and in, in, in um um in her book, what she does that's different is that she shows the ways in which individual behavior and organizational structures are also the problem and she yes. calls on those people to do better she yes. calls on those groups to do better she calls everybody to do better so it's not just talking to the woman right and right. saying lean I'm in it's not just saying oh you didn't lean in hard enough it's acknowledging no we've been freaking leaning in right <laughs> and for women of color we've been leaning in hard <laughs> real hard I always say, um, you know, you and I have talked before about muted group theory. And in what, when I mm -hmm. teach and train, I talk about the operating systems were created by white men. And those of us who don't speak white male struggle to navigate those systems. The goal is not to teach us to speak white male. The goal is to change the operating systems. So yes. we have our work to do. And that's where institutional and structural um, isms come in, you know, many, Absolutely. many biases that they don't recognize, much like the example of the application to a job where it, you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of ism in there. Um, well, you and there I can talk all day. Uh, I have a lot I want to talk to you about offline. Um, some ideas came to me. I have a very good in friend in Chicago I want you to meet um, now that I know you're there. I, I knew you were in Illinois, but you're in Chicago. She is in Chicago. Yes, and I need friends. I need new friends. Oh my God, you're gonna love, I love that woman. Oh my God. So, folks, this is what women do: confident women, secure women, women who act out of love and not fear. They introduce each other. They lift each other. They connect each other. They collaborate. They answer each other's questions. I now feel like I've known Corey for a thousand years, and I haven't. But she's my kind of woman. Like I found my tribe. And this is what I love we, it. we lift women. We lift women. So thank you so much, Corey. I'm going to put all your contact information in the blog that I write. Okay. So okay. Um, I will share that with the world in about 48 hours. What do you think? That sounds great. And I have enjoyed this conversation. You are a great conversationalist. <laughs> and I feel as if you know, when I finally get Barack and Michelle to come have a meal in my house at my kitchen table, you should be there. Oh, well, I'll tell you what. Um, they are amazing people. I've hung out with them <laughs> for two years in a row on the beach. Are when you we lived, serious? Yeah, when we lived in Hawaii. Oh, my God. I had a better beach body then, but whatever. <laughs> that is so awesome. Michelle, no, Michelle. whatever. The girls were there. My son was there. He was like, um, you know, my son hung out with the president all day long before my husband and I even went down to the beach. Um, oh my God. And he came up to me. He's like, you know, your son is amazing. And I was like, what? You're telling me someone else? You're amazing. You're amazing. <laughs> I was just like, you know, so um, yeah, we have lots of good stories we could share. And I can't wait to continue our conversations.
Me too. Me too. All right. Well, and have thank a you for day. what you do. You too. Oh, you, you too. too. You too. All, All right. right. Bye, everybody. Bye.